First and foremost, I acknowledge the traditional owners of the land upon which we, myself, and my guests record today's podcast. I extend respect and gratitude to the elders past, present, and emerging of those nations, and to all Aboriginal peoples listening today. Always was, always will be. Welcome to episode nine of Yas Queen, a podcast for everyone and anyone mulling over everything and anything glitter and gruff included, without actually knowing everything or much at all about anything. My name is Nell Dark Jones. You might recognise my dulcet tones from such voiceovers as those heard on the blush stage, at Drag Off, and at every single Timberlina show you've ever attended. We're turning the tables on this one today. Today, Timberlina is the interviewee instead of interviewer. I'll be asking the hard questions. Hopefully, Timberlina knows the answers. Well, welcome to our guest of the day. We'll start with the traditional question of what is your name and where are you based? And could you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, so my name is Timberlina, uh, the one and only, based in Newcastle, New South Wales, Australia. Um, a little bit about me, I have been doing drag for three years, coming up to three years. Um, I live by myself. I love drinking. I love food. I love wine. I love two ninety nine Shiraz from Aldi. Um, I'm also a marriage celebrant, so if you want to get married, I can marry you legally and make it all official. But who wants to get fucking married? That shit's expensive. I mean, get married, yay! Um, and I am a country kid. I'm now in the big smoke, doing big smoke stuff. In the big smoke. Well. Is that where you started drag, in the big smoke? Did you start in the little towns or you came straight in the big towns? Um, I mean, I started, I guess, drag um, in Golgong where I grew up um, during a school in Tedford when I was 10. Um, I came second and I made a boy vomit. So like... Um, goals. Goals in Golgong. Um, but then... My parents moved to Newcastle when I was 12 and I ended up dropping out of school because I fell in love with events and I just wanted to study events and I knew what I wanted to do and I wanted to be a wedding planner and all the glitz and glam of the events world. If you're listening to this and you want to do events, it's not glitz and glam. It's actually dirty, 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 dirty. And then two minutes before everyone arrives, you put on a suit um, and greet them and you're still sweaty and smell. Um, and then I had a break and I moved to Canada where I worked at Starbucks and it was super fun because you could go to work drunk. Um, and then I moved back home and I got into hotels for a little bit and then um, I broke, no, I didn't break up with my partner. That was before I moved to Canada. And then I came back and then I was, my sister lives in the US and she just moved to Memphis. So I was like, I'm going to go to the US for six weeks. I just started a new job in projects. So I was totally out of hospitality and I, booked this trip and then I had to tell my workplace that I was going overseas for six weeks. We went to New Orleans um, during Mardi Gras time, which I think everyone knows is like a really fun time over there. If you ever get the chance to go do it. We ended up at a drag bar and I got pulled up on stage to have a dance off. 
during that dance off, I just end up in the splits three times and people started throwing money at me. And I was like, this is so cool. Like people are throwing money at me. They must think I'm a performer. I wasn't. I just end up giving them all the tips to the drag performer for that night. And then I got back. My parents had just moved back to Golgong and I was out there and all the is to do out there is get shit faced. So I just got shit faced and I was like, fuck it. I want to start doing drag and start doing bingo in Newcastle. There's nothing fun like that. And then I emailed heaps of people when I was drunk. Then two weeks later, one of the venues had called me. And I was like, I don't know that number, not picking up. I do that a lot. Um, make sure you leave a voicemail. Um, and he was like, oh, when can you start your show? And I was like, show, I have no idea what you're talking about. So I was like blackout when I was messaging these people. And then turned to like one month later, I'd gone into drag for the first time, had a full photo shoot had a makeup artist doing my makeup and I had a bingo show that had like 90 people turn up to the first one. I think Jojo performed with me. Um, it was super fun. And then we were doing it every so often. And then now I'm a full-time drag performer through a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like alcohol was a huge influence on your journey to becoming a professional <laughs> drag queen. Are you drunk now? No, I'm totally sober. Actually, on water. I've had three coffees today, though. Three coffees. Good. So lots of energy. I would describe your drag performances as fairly high energy most of the time. How would you describe your drag performances? Um, like, I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing until I press play. Um, I think they're high energy. They're a bit over the top. Um... The splits are like my well-known thing, splits into cartwheels and now like my thing that I do if I'm in a big enough venue. Um, I try to interact with the audience as much as possible because where I do my shows is out west a lot and I don't think they've been around drag before so they actually like to get amongst it and have some fun. So I think my performances are really fun and over the top and a bit dramatic. Yeah. That would be, that's true, yes. And some of them can be very serious and um, meaningful and have a message behind them too. Yes. Occasional political influences. Yes, like a grown-up. Watch this space for some <laughs> So we've we talked about your journey to drag. What advice would you give for new drag performers, for baby drag performers? Baby drag performers, do it, for one. If you're hesitating, just do it, I think. Like, I wouldn't be here where I am today if I didn't get drunk and just did it. Um, like, make connections, interact with people. Social media is a big thing these days. So I would totally say get on the social media, start following people, start messaging people. If they don't message you back, move on to the next queen or person that wants to do it. Because, I mean, life is about networking, and I've learned that through me doing business, which is networking. I'm constantly networking. I'm constantly messaging people. I'm constantly building um, myself up and pushing my brand out there. So I think it's just like, do it, get out there. If there is a baby drag comp in your city or your town or something, get in touch with the people that are organizing it, put your name out there, keep pushing to try and get on that stage. I think now that the world is going virtually, I think um, I've got a lot of more things that I can push out into the world now, which is really awesome. So watch this space if you're a baby queen and or baby drag performer, queer performer. Um, I've got some stuff in the works. Mm -hmm. Now, you did just mention networking. 
networking and I think a lot of uh, networking opportunities do come from a bit of mentorship. Do you have a particular mentor? Um, do I have a mentor? Um, personally, no, I don't have a mentor. Um, I mean, I've got some of my dearest and nearest that I rely on heavily, um, like heavily. Um, I think having that backbone, as I would call it in a business, especially because I'm a sole trader, I spend a lot of time, you wouldn't be able to see where I'm currently sitting, but I'm surrounded by wigs and costumes in my office, slash drag room, slash everything room. And, but I have a backbone. So I have Maddie, Nell and Anna, who are probably my three, two people and my mum and dad, obviously, um, that I go to and put my ideas to and, I like talk it out with them and all that kind of stuff. So if you don't have like that mentor such as like a drag mum or a drag dad or a queer person, like there's always other things that you can do for mentor because mentoring isn't just like perfecting your drag, which is a really good thing to do. Business behind drag, for you to get successful, you need to have like that business mind. And I think that's how I am doing so well right now is because I'm very business minded. And if you talk to any of my friends, they're going to be like, she does not, or he does not shut up about fucking drag um, at all. So I guess that's like one, one of my biggest things. Like I live and breathe my businesses, no matter what they are. And um, if I put my celebrant hat on, I would be like living and breathing that. But at the moment my hat is like literally full-time drag. So I guess I do have mentors in a different way than I think this question yeah, so I think this question is more based towards if you're a, a baby drag performer and so you didn't have the benefit like you have of events and business management in the past and you had some um, avenues available to you to help you with your makeup straight off. Some people don't have that, particularly the younger crowd. So if they were looking for a drag mum or a drag dad, do you think it's it's worth approaching somebody that you see in the community that might be able to fill that role for you if you were a younger drag performer? I mean, I think I would like approach several different people. Um, I don't know who they would be, but I would definitely try and approach someone to help me do that. Yeah. Does that answer it right? So yeah, find your tribe, find your friend. It doesn't have to be one person. Sometimes yeah, it's a small group. You can learn from so many different people. And I think, I mean, social media really helps you because you can go and watch tutorials on YouTube and connect that way. So they don't actually have to be in your same city. So you can reach out and get help from other people as well. Yeah. So in your, say, first 12 months of drag, what was your biggest learning experience? What were the key couple of things that you decided you had to change and evolve within that time? See, I feel like I, would, I answer this so different to everybody else in the drag world. I know, like, everyone's number one thing would be makeup. Mine is not makeup. Um, if you've watched my career from the beginning, you would see that I, in my first 12 months, I believe I was touring New Zealand in my first 12 months. So mine was always about getting in front of people and getting shows booked and all of that kind of stuff. It was never about perfecting my makeup. I had a makeup artist for the first six months, Johnny, and he taught me a basic look and I went with that look for the next 18 months or maybe two years. I've only really just started changing my look around a little bit and perfecting my look nearly two years into my career. 
um, where my first 12 months was more about getting in front of people and building my stage presence because I believe once you get on that stage, you get addicted to performing, which I do and I love performing. Any moment that I get to be on stage or in front of people, I'm going to do it. Um, it comes back to that networking. I did a lot of networking. I did a lot of free events. Um, you give and take. I know a lot of queens like don't do stuff for free, but like do stuff for free that you believe in and you have a passion about. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I guess that's my biggest thing was tr getting in front of people for the first 12 months. Does that answer that question? <laughs> and, stay, and staying in their faces. And staying in their faces and still staying in their faces and be on brand. <laughs> we did touch a little bit about how your makeup has evolved along with your career. You're pretty good at what you do now. I'm like, my, I'm probably biased, but I'll give you that one. What would your top makeup tips for newer queens be if they say couldn't afford to hire a makeup artist for their first few performances? I mean, practice, right? So like find a look that works for you and just perfected I think that's what everyone knows I have my signature look uh, when I was one of the stars in Newcastle um, a lot of the queens in Newcastle did a thousand nights of Timberlina I think it was <laughs> called um, and they all dressed up as Timberlina and there was different looks of Timberlina um, but you don't have to buy expensive makeup either like that's the biggest thing like you just got to came up and buy the two dollar stuff and play around with it and I mean you can find out your look like a mas mascara eyeliner a basic um, palette and foundations like it doesn't have to be expensive um, when you're first starting out just like play around with it and find what you want to do but like eyeliner and a sh palette and like foundation is probably the best thing that you need to get to start doing it and you don't have to buy it all at once like start slowly and build your makeup kit up yeah, and pick and choose. You could you could focus on your eyes and just do that, do amazing eyes and worry about the lips later. It's a progression. Yeah. Now, how long does it now take you, now that you're very, so very experienced and skilled, how long does it now take you to do your makeup? For me to do my own makeup, because let's face it, I don't always do my own makeup. Like when I've got special events and stuff. Majority of the time you I get do your own makeup. Me, but it, I can do a look in like an hour and a half. I guess it's averaging an hour and a half because, like, you still want to look pretty. Like, it's not about rushing a look. And don't, like, oversell yourself. So, like, if you are like, oh, I've got to work my day job till 5 o'clock and then you've got to be on stage at 6.30, do not push yourself because you're just going to get flustered. Um, but, it, yeah, it takes me about an hour and a half to do a look, two hours to get fully dressed and ready and for a show. Yeah. Wow. What a progression. <laughs> yeah, I bet you do your makeup faster than I do mine, <laughs> <laughs> which is at a zero pace of never. Now, <laughs> uh, we did just talk about uh, the idea of when you're starting out, don't throw a whole bit of money at makeup. As we know, drag becomes progressively more expensive as your career goes along. What would you say the most expensive drag item you currently own is and what was the cheapest one you've ever brought? My most expensive. Oh gosh. Um, I have a lot of costumes that are worth quite a bit, but I don't know. It would be a costume item that I probably can't see right in front of me right now. Um, but wigs, um, 
I've got a few um, wigs by Vanity that are quite expensive. Um, I think, I know I spent four and a half thousand dollars on merch once. That was a flop. <laughs> that was a good investment. <laughs> Free t-shirts for anybody listening. Um, <laughs> send me a DM, I'll send you a fucking shirt. <laughs> what do you think the cheapest thing you've ever brought for drag is? Did I have to buy it or could someone have just given Oh, you it could to have me? just, someone could have donated it to you generously. Um, I get heaps of stuff given to me by random people. So I have um, so many costumes that have been donated. Um, so I'm going to say that kind of stuff. I've had wigs being given to me. Um, I'm going to say costumes. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it, it's, I can see heaps of costumes that have been given to me for free. So obviously some parts of drag can be quite expensive. I happen to know that sometimes wigs can be hundreds and hundreds of dollars as can the outfits. And the costumes. I mean, costumes like (laughs) if you want custom stuff done with Diamantes and Swarovskis and stuff, they're going to be very expensive. But obviously you can go to the lower end and pick and choose and there's op shops, there's hand-me-downs. Hand-me-downs are pretty good. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of Facebook groups on Facebook that you can join and People have got tips and costumes and wigs that they're trying to sell that they don't want anymore. So if you can't afford it, just hit up yeah. people. So that kind of comes to the next thing I wanted to talk about was budgeting for drag, particularly as a professional. Um, you do, I suppose you run it quite business-minded like. Yeah. yeah. But someone younger starting out that's not got regular performances yet, what would be your top tips for budgeting? I think we've talked a little bit about, you know, take the, the hand-me-downs or the, the gifts and start with your really cheap makeup. Is there anything else you'd add to that? Um, Don't overcommit on merch. Yeah. I mean, I was like, I want this and this and this and this and this and this and I want it all now. Um, I have a personality where it's like I needed it yesterday um, with a lot of my stuff and I'm learning slowly but it doesn't happen like that and you need to be patient. Patient is not my middle name. Um, but, I mean, buy it over, like, I know a lot of people that are probably studying when they get into drag or they work two shifts a week. So just slowly, like, maybe open another bank account and just start slowly putting money in and then, like, once you reach that goal, you've bought, like, your Jeffree Star palette um, and then the next thing you've got is your costume and then like your wig and all of that kind of stuff. And then maybe by the end of a month, you've got like a whole thing or however much you're saving. But if you're living at home, like try and save as much fucking money as you can and don't get a credit card. That was the worst thing I've ever done in my life. (laughs) Oh, good. Yes. Um, And don't buy four and a half thousand shirts. Yeah. Good. So that's, you know, you're starting out tips and moving along. At some point, you particularly reached a point where you went, oh, I'm a professional now. When was it that you went, wow, I fucking made it? Um, I still haven't done the, wow, I fucking made it. Some nights I do lay in my bed and look out <laughs> my bedroom door. This is going to sound so weird, but it's like I look out my bedroom door when I'm like about to fall asleep and knowing that I have like a roof over my head. Um, I live by myself in a two bedroom apartment in quite nice area of Newcastle, right in the city. 
and I go, fuck, I'm doing really well for myself. I've worked for this by myself with some assistance with some of my closest friends. But like mainly I've just done it. And I think like probably three months ago was the first time I've laid in my bed and was like, wow, I've made it like to a point in my career. But I think once you've done, wow, I've made it, then you add this extra goal on and it's like, now this is like my next step. Um, where right now when we're like recording this podcast, I would have been flying back to Australia from LA in two days time. And I would have just done my first ever RuPaul's Drag Con and have my own booth there with three other girls. So, I mean, when I'm, you're able to book that and you're flying overseas to be a part of something and be part of the bigger, wider international world of drag, I think that's another big milestone where I've been like, oh, fuck, I'm doing real good. Um, but, I mean, I'm still growing and I'm still um, doing a lot of work behind the scenes. I mean, when you decide to go full-time drag, it's a big, scary step. I slowly was transitioning from it for the last six months from my, as I like to call it, my boy job, um, working in projects and all of that kind of stuff. And then in February, I literally took on a casual contract, a very, very casual contract with that company, which I still hold now, which I'm very lucky to have. Um, and the start of March, we went into a worldwide global pandemic and, I lost a lot of money. Like in three days, I'd lost $30,000 worth of gigs with the, like this year. And that wasn't all of them. I'm still losing gigs left, right and center. Um, and I was like, okay, well that's my full-time drag career down the drain. I'm <laughs> moving back to go along to live with mom and dad. And that's it. Um, but with some gentle encouragement from your friends, that wasn't it. You weren't done. You have, you've evolved um, quite well, I would say. How have you actually found adapting your business, your performances to the virtual world that we're all now living in for the time being? Um, so I got tagged like a lot, like people were like, Timberlini, you need to start doing virtual stuff. You need to get into this TikTok world of, and then taking your bins out during isolation. Just letting you all know, I'm not going to take the fucking bins out because people pay to have that done. And I'm one of those people that is very lucky that I do not take my bins out to the street. Someone else does that for me. So you probably will never, ever see me do one of those. Um, but it just came to me that I was like, no, you're a business person. You know how to get yourself out of this issue of like losing gigs. So people were like, start doing online bingo. That's really cool. Um, and I was like, I have no idea where to start with online stuff. Like I'm good with Facebook and Instagram and my websites and stuff like that, but recording myself, like I've never done a live before in my entire life because I hate that kind of stuff. Um, and then I gave myself four days. I put tickets on sales for my virtual bingo and then boom, that weekend I was doing it. Um, I think I was one of the very first queens in Australia at least, um, or even globally to be doing online drag bingo Um and it's been going buck wild. I Gangbusters. I've now, I'm selling out most Saturday nights for those. I do corporate events. I can do up to two corporate events in one night on a Friday. Um, I started doing blush virtually. I'm now going into the stepping into the international market with Molly Poppins and we're doing a collab and we're actually going into a full-blown studio to record it um, with all pre-records. So I think you just need to learn. And like, I am one of those people that's just like, Oh, that's new technology. Let's learn how to do that. Like I do love it. I do love all that kind of stuff. So 
um, I did purchase a lot of things that I probably didn't need, but I'm going to use them once in my life. So, I mean, adapting to a thing can be pretty expensive, um, but I've done it and it's paid off, I believe. I'm still living in Newcastle. I'm still living by myself. I'm still paying my bills. That's your big girl budgeting skills coming into play. (laughs) Yeah. there's some days where I spend a lot of money and then I'm just like, fuck, why do I spend all that money? But I mean, you have to spend money to make money. I've always believed in that philosophy. You need to spend money to make money, but you also know, need to know when you need to, to know when to not overcommit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you also need to be like constantly on the go. And, um, but I have adapted. I think I've adapted very well into this online. I world. absolutely think you have adapted very well. I'm not seeing anybody that's quite um, performing on the same level as you at the moment. There's a few people starting to adapt as well and come along, but at the moment, I think it's fair to say you're a shining star. <laughs> and currently, we're living this virtual world. You're smashing some goals there. When this all blows over and we're let out of our houses again, do you have any big plans for later in the year for 2020? I mean, 2020 is like, you don't know what's going to Or even happen. early 2021. <laughs> <laughs> um, my biggest thing is because, like, if you don't know, if you haven't been following me, you just, like, randomly come across this podcast. I am all about community, community engagement. I work a lot with Acon. I'm about to go into a lot of their online virtual world and start performing for them and doing some stuff. I'm trying to get funding from the government right now to do a big networking event for the queer community in rural towns. So I travel out West a lot. um, So bringing rural and city is a big thing for me. Um, So I really want to continue doing my blush shows. Um, Hopefully that all comes par and I can still get sponsors and stuff to help me along with that. But if not, if I've got money in my bank, I will keep funding blush till the day I die. And I've made that promise so many times. Um, but I think it's just like to continue building our community here in Newcastle because we don't have a gay club. Um, we create them and well. Yeah. Well, that pretty much answers my next question, which was what you what did you want to see more of in the community? Love and support. Love, support, yes. Don't be fucking assholes. No, um, it's not high school, just Yeah, I mean I can walk into a venue and, I mean, you don't have to like everybody. I don't like everybody. I don't love everybody. Um, But you can be professional. That word is, like, very strong. Um, And we work in a professional. I just went for a debt consolidation loan and I (laughs) put my title as professional. Um, So, I mean, it's all about being professional when you're around people. You don't have to love them when you go home but just be professional. And I think that's the biggest thing about our community internationally, just be professional and caring for people when you're around. Um, I don't know if you know about bullying, but like sometimes the community bullies each other and we're already getting bullied enough in mainstream as. Yeah. Without needing it from the inside out. Yeah. So just be nice when you're out, like, or like trying, if someone's going one way and you know that you guys don't talk or don't get along and it makes you angry, walk the other way. Like don't, create drama that you don't need in your life. Don't engage. Drama don't antagonize. Like and I don't feed the beast. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, now, I just want to go back to something that we mentioned before. If, if we hadn't have been hit by COVID-19 at the moment, you would be at RuPaul's Drag Con over in the good old yes, 
US of A, I have a question that a few people have asked me to ask you, and that is, what are your thoughts on RuPaul's Drag Race? And if Drag Race Australia happens, are you going to sign up for it? Thoughts on Drag Race is great show. It's made it very commercial. Um, it's made drag get onto that platform where everyone knows about drag. The international platform. Yeah, I think it's it's amazing how it's breaking through. It's giving people hope and all of that. Programming of the show maybe could change a little bit. It's getting a bit stale. Um, the competition's always going to be fierce. I mean, it's a competition. Any competition's fierce and fun. Um, for me, going on Drag Race Australia, if it happened here, is no. Um, no. I would, I, it's a flat-out no. Um, it's not a competition for me. Um I've competed in a competition with First Nations and that's probably, I would do that again. Pageant life is not for me. I'm not a pageant queen. Um, and I'm not, I, I love a good competition. I love hosting my own drag off, but I would never go on it. There's too much I need to do in community. Um, and that's the biggest thing. And I don't want people to be like, oh, she's got a big head now. And I don't <laughs> want to come back to Newcastle where people don't like respect me for that. Um, I still want to go out west and I still want to create communities out there. There's just way too much for me that I want to do personally on a personal level before I go on to do that. And I never want to be famous. If anyone just like, you just want to be famous. I don't want to be famous. That is exhausting. I'm exhausted already and I'm not even famous. Um, I'm just busy being a fucking hustler and that's what you need to do in the arts industry really i think that um your answer that you wouldn't sign up for drag race is probably would surprise a few people uh, in the community itself misconceptions happen every day one of them um is probably that you wouldn't go on drag that you would go on drag race what do you think that one of the biggest misconceptions about you personally and or as timberlina the personality might be um obviously i've i've read these questions and i've asked them before on my podcast before um i actually i think a lot of people think i am a bitch um no (laughs) (laughs) it may come across that i'm a bitch but it's more that like i when it comes to like working with queens and stuff like that, I produce shows. I, you can be very focused and that yeah, can be well, I think people get confused with like, I'm not a bitch, I'm just focused and I know how to run. I'm there to run a show and it needs to go to my standards. And if it doesn't reach my standards, then it probably will never happen again. Um, so if I ever like hire you, it's like, it's going to be very professional. The run sheets are very focused. The timings are there for a reason. We need everything to happen. So I guess, a lot of people are now a little bit scared of me. I don't want you to be scared of me because of that. Like, I'm still a human. I still am lovely, I think, um, unless you get on the wrong side of me and then I will become a fucking bitch. Um, And, yeah, I think that's the main thing. I don't know. You probably know more about it than me. Um, (laughs) How would you answer this question about me? (laughs) The biggest misconception about Timberlina... um, that you make fuckloads of money every single show. <laughs> well, I don't make heaps of money because I spend a lot. <laughs> you make some money, but you're not exactly... The diamantes on your dresses aren't actually diamonds. They are diamantes. Yeah. And I mean, 
when I'm like, cause a lot of people are like, oh, you make, you make money from blush. I did <laughs> not make money from blush. I fund it out of my own pocket every time. <laughs> I can vouch for that. I can vouch for that. And luckily you have a lovely troop of volunteers to help you behind the scenes with blush. Without yeah. them, I think that uh, things might run a little chaotically on some nights. Um, the show wouldn't run. No, <laughs> just for you on the stage with a microphone <laughs> yelling at everybody. <laughs> Would you think that maybe those sorts of that maintaining that level of professionalism whilst trying to stay away from being just outright bitchy? Do you think that's probably one of the most challenging things about running those types of shows? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the scale of shows that they are, they're quite in depth and there's a lot of performers and a lot of things to deal with behind the scenes. And a lot of people don't actually understand what goes into an event. Um, but yeah, I guess so. And sometimes, um, we all get feedback that we don't particularly like, and it can be a little bit depressing sometimes how do you cope with bad feedback or just with like bad days generally i mean i mean feedback other than the alcohol what other than alcohol oh um <laughs> i mean for me feedback is how you grow as a performer so even if you don't agree with it i mean it can make you upset and blah 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 Usually when people are giving you feedback, it's because they care about what you're delivering on stage. Oh, yeah, so. there's absolutely nothing wrong with feedback as long as it's done in a constructive manner. Yeah, and if it's not, just like, I mean, you're going to get it when it's like people are just trying to pull your brand down. I get trolled now and, I mean, it's it's hard. It's like a really, really hard, like, and there's some days where I don't want to get out of bed, but I know that I have a whole brand that I need to keep on top of and um i guess that's what helps me get through it it's just like i know that i've got millions of more supporters than that one person that's trying to pull my brand down and um that i have heaps of people in the world that love me and adore me and they love coming to my shows all the time so i guess that gets me through the harder times and um friends and i've got like i'm very lucky i talk to my mom nearly five times a day um, and I offload to her a lot. So thanks, Mum, because I know Mum listens to the podcast. <laughs> right, so we've talked about bad days, and I suppose on a more uplifting note, what would be your favourite part of drag and the feedback that you get that's positive? Um, I guess my thing, because I produce a lot of shows, it's just when I see people come in and have a good time and they leave saying thank you so much, when's the next one? Um, I guess that's the best feeling. And also when I go to country shows, because a lot of those people just see bingo in the title of it and they never take notice that it says drag queen bingo. And I'm like, whose first time is it? And they all raise their hand and I'm like, who's scared? And they all keep their hand up because they have no <laughs> idea what the fuck's going to go on. And then by the end of it, I just see everyone laughing. And my favourite thing is to watch someone in the country that is struggling, usually because they're a farmer on a farm and they don't have money and they don't have that level of entertainment go out there and they leave with the biggest smile on their face and they say to me, these are their exact words, I've never laughed that hard in blah, blah, blah amount of time. I'm just like, 
that's me when I've done my job and it makes me feel so happy that I've just changed someone's life because they have been in that dark hole. Um, so bringing someone out and making them laugh is the best medicine. So I think that's what my best days are. Yeah. I think one of my favourite things is when um, you get really, really young people come up to you after a show and talk to you about how exciting it was and they're just amazed by the colours, your makeup, and they ask all sorts of questions and I'm sure they're whoever their parent or guardian is that's with them would wish they wouldn't ask, but you always answer them, <laughs> even though you're not particularly inclined to love children yourself. There's only a handful that you would not want to put in the bin. Um, <laughs> I do like watching you interact with them and you, you maintain kindness and you're always very patient with them, which I think is one of my favourite things to see and it always gives me a bit of a fucking giggle. <laughs> but do you know why that is? It's because they are our future generation and you can only teach someone negativity and hurt. You can't, they don't grow, they don't grow up with that. Like people teach them that. So if I can educate people from a young age, um, I will always give them the time of day, even though if I ever get a partner, which I probably won't because I'm married to Timberlina, <laughs> Tim and Timberlina are married. Um, I would. I don't want kids, and I think that's a big thing. And everyone's just like, "Oh, yes, you do." I don't want kids. Um, I look at Nels, and they're really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> look, I, I'm inclined to agree. One more than the other most days. Um, so, bit of an inspiration to a lot of the community. I reckon we could call you. What do you think inspires you the most? Is there a particular person or situation that inspires you to keep moving along? the community I guess is the answer to that um knowing that people want and need drag in their life I think that's one thing that it's always at the back of my head it's just like if I don't want to do a show it's just like no the people want it does that sound like myself <laughs> no. <laughs> no it doesn't you're, you're a service to the community. You're community-minded. Yeah. And you bring communities together. So when we talk about generally now we say community, obviously a lot of it is the queer community, but there's sectors outside of that that you're bringing in and breaking down those boundaries and it's no longer us and them and you don't have to be queer to come to a bingo with Timberlina. No. Because, no. like, when you think of the word equality, people automatically think about gay marriage yeah and i'm just like well no equality is for everybody for everybody equality is like equality amongst community and when i say community it's like the newcastle community the sydney community it's like everybody um i my favorite thing about newcastle is that we don't have a gay venue a lot of people won't agree with this but my favorite thing is we don't have a gay venue we go into as people like to call them the hetero venues and my favourite thing is turning them a little bit queer and opening the eyes of the general public that we aren't what they've been made up to think in their head about the queer community. We are us and we're not going to change. No. Um, we're queer and we're here to stay. Um, and I've had, at one of my old venues, we had this, I think it was like around Christmas time, it was maybe the November or maybe even the December blush, and we had this group of very heterosexual males who just finished work. They were out for a big night, you could tell. They were about to leave because 
we obviously turn off all the football in the venue and very dare you very like queen music on and there's drag queens and everything like that and you can watch the transition happen um from that time and i was expecting these guys just to troop off to the next venue that they're going to and they came up to me at the end of the night and they're like we just want to say that we're bringing our wives at the next show because that was amazing we have had the best night ever and I was just like, that's why I do this. It's not just about bringing my own community, the LGBTQIA plus community together. It's bringing everybody together to be like, we're all in this together um, at the end of the day. So, yeah. Goals. Once again, goals. Yeah. Uh, I think it might be time for just a random little question for you, just to mix it up a little bit. What did you have for dinner last night? Dinner last night, <laughs> I had pasta with chicken and like a mushroomy sauce. Oh, that's, um, that's from gourmet. Harris Farm. Oh, it was. So you are rich. You're buying dinner from Harris Farm. I didn't finish. I was about to say how much it was. It was on sale. <laughs> I only buy sale items from Harris Farm because I'm poor. <laughs> um, it was four ninety nine, and it was so filling. It was so delicious. You would have had change for a bottle of Aldi wine. Yeah, well, I did have some of that too, <laughs> obviously. Always got that on hand. I have to buy it in bulk. Sometimes it sells out at the moment. Is that because you buy so much of it? Or, or me and the other friends of mine that all buy it? <laughs> yeah, the Aldi aficionados. <laughs> all right, well, I think we've covered a lot in today's little chat. Is there any parting words that you would like to leave us with, Timberlina? Um, be you, don't change you. Um, if you need to talk, Lifeline, Beyond Blue, um, or reach out to me. I'm happy to chat to anybody, anytime. Um, make sure you share these episodes. We're trying to go far and wide. And also, if you have any questions that you want us to answer on a Q&A, which we try and release a lot now, send them through they we don't judge questions we actually like discussing stuff on this podcast with my guests so but if you want to know more about me send questions in perfect well thank you very much today for joining us timberlina oh thank you so much Thank you for listening to Yas Queen. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe, and tell your friends and family. If you have any questions about anything and everything, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Yas Queen Podcast and send them through. Once a month, we'll compile all the questions and have them answered by queers and allies from around the country. Until next time, my name is Timberlina, top shelf talent. Pour yourself double. Peace out. Love you all.